started. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Classroom 2.0 Live. And I'm sure already you can hear the lawnmower going. I'm just going to shut the window. What a great start. Um, my name is Lorna Costantini, and I'm so happy to see you all here. I'm joined today with uh, two great show hosts, Kim Case and Peggy George. And I know Peggy wanted to say hello and uh, have something to say. So go ahead, Peggy. Good morning, everyone. I just wanted to say a quick hello because I've been away for two weeks on vacation. And I have so missed all of you on our Saturday sessions. But it's great to be back. I spent about two weeks in Montana, Wyoming, Glacier Park, Yellowstone Park, and the Grand Tetons. And it was fabulous but I had no internet connection in the mountains. So it is wonderful to see all of you and looking forward to a great show today with Alvin. So welcome, everyone. Thanks, Peggy. You were really, really missed. And it's so good to have you back. Um, Peggy's just one of the fastest typists. I think some of you noticed we all answered your question uh, together. So we're going to let uh, Kim and Peggy do a lot of that answering because I'm a dyslexic typist. But um, thank you for being here. And uh, as uh, Peggy just said, we're going to have our special guest, Alvin Trusty, and we're going to be talking about PowerPoint and uh, how it's used in Web 2.0 tools. Each week at this time in our show, we gather to discuss uh, technology tools and issues. And our broadcast consists of about an hour session that's recorded. And today, Alvin has uh, agreed to stay on the show after the show if uh, we do go over time. But we will uh, end the show and, and start a review or for the discussion later. You'll find a link to the full video, the audio recording, and the chat log post in our Classroom 2.0 live site at liveclassroom20.com. Later on today, if all goes well, Kim and Peggy will have it posted for you. The topic each week for our show is posted on the Classroom 2 uh, Ning, uh, site itself so that you can be prepared with links and ideas and tools that you would like to share. And um, be ready for the newbie question of the week that's pre-announced so you can bring uh, possible answers or solutions to share. Before we get started, I would like to review some of the features uh, so that some of you who are new and some of you who are uh, veterans um, may help us work through Illuminate. During today's session, we're going to be having some poll questions, and Kim's going to help us with that. And to cast your vote, you can use the emoticons here, excuse me, the <clears throat> X's and the check marks located in a new section right now. That's all the only place you need to check on to uh, register your vote. You'll have uh, a whiteboard here, but um, until we give you permission with the laser tool, we'll be the only ones uh, working on the whiteboard. Next to the uh, check mark and the X mark for voting, we have emoticons here. Um, you can clap or express your uh, pleasure by with a smiley face. And if you do have a question, you can click on the hand button uh, to let us know that uh, whether you're wanting access to the microphone or you just want to uh, ask a question. For most of the show, Alvin's going to be talking and taking over the microphone. Um, we do suggest that you put your questions in the chat room 
hopefully there'll be time near the end and we will give you access to the microphone to come on live and ask us questions. If you do step away, you want to let us know. Uh, there is uh, a way door, so just click on that and we'll show that you're not with us at the moment. Uh, below these symbols is the, the chat window and I want to point something out to you, out to you that all the uh, chat uh, discussions are visible by the moderator, so keep that in mind when you do uh, send your chat messages. You can send them to different people in the session. To send a message, you click on, type in your chat window there and click send. If you want to send it to someone else in the chat room, there's a drop-down menu and you can choose the name or the moderators and click on that and send the message. For the whole room though, make sure that your link is uh, highlighted at this room. For those of you who will take care of the uh, microphone, down at the bottom of your screen you're going to find the uh, microphone button, click on it to, to speak and when you're finished speaking please check it off so that we'll have um, less problems with feedback. We uh, sometimes do have that problem when the microphones are all activated, so please try and uncheck when you've gotten to the finished talking. If you do want to uh, resize or get a different view for your whiteboard, in the top left-hand corner you're going to find View and you click on that menu and you can see that the default layout is as it appears right now. If you want to just see the whiteboard, click on here or you can change with a wide layout. We are privileged to have Tammy Moore with us who not only has done a great presentation on using clipart, but she helps us every week with closed captioning. So if you need closed captioning, fun captioning function, click on this icon at the top of your screen. Thank you, Tammy, and uh, we really appreciate all the efforts that you put towards uh, the closed captioning. In a moment, we're going to be using the laser tool, and here's your toolbar menu that's located at the left-hand side of your screen. Here we have the laser button, and when I give you, ac give you access to the laser tool, you'll be telling us where you are in uh, the world map. So you have access and we're going to switch to the map. So if you could all take a moment and click on the laser button right here and show us where you are located in the world. Look at that. What a terrific representation. People from Argentina, Spain, looks like Great Britain, a lot of uh, people from the United States. We have someone in Mexico. Thank you very much, all of you, for attending. It's uh, great to see such a representation across the world. Yes, we have a star. Thank you very much. Look at that. It's awesome. Isn't that great? I would like to turn over the microphone to Kim so that she could uh, take care of the poll questions. Thanks, Kim, for joining us and uh, take, giving you the mic. So thank you. Absolutely, and thank you, and welcome back, Lorna and Peggy. It's so great to have you joining us today, and we're going to be answering some poll questions uh, today at the beginning of the show and at the end, and um, if you're new to the new Illuminate setup, the poll questions, the features are now located next to the blue door, 
and we'll be using the check and the X, and at the end of the show we'll be using the ABC. And the, fo the first poll question is, do you use PowerPoint to teach your students, either face-to-face -face or online? If you do, please click the green check next to the blue door. And if you do not use PowerPoint with your students, click the red X. I'll give everybody a few seconds to click on the and cast their vote. And then I'll post the results. Since we're focusing on creating some PowerPoints without breaking the law today, our poll questions are going to feature that. And it looks like about 8% do not use PowerPoint with students, and about 70% do. <laughs> I know I did, and, and after reviewing some of the ShareTabs resources, I learned some great ways I can make them much better. And hopefully you will too. So let's go on to poll question number two. Do you ever assign students to create PowerPoint projects for class projects? If you do, please click the green check. If not, click the red X. And yes, that would apply to Keynote um, or OpenOffice or any type of um, slide share, any of those kinds of things with slide share or a slide presentation and Google Docs anything of that kind of nature. And let me go ahead and get those results. And it looks like 19% have not assigned students a project, and about 56 in the group, 56% in the group have assigned student projects using PowerPoint or a similar software. Let me clear the results. Let's go on to poll question number three. Have you ever integrated teaching about copyright along with PowerPoint projects or type of slideshow presentation software? Copyright's a big issue with students. If you have when they're copying images and and music to accompany their slideshare or slideshow. So if you have integrated teaching about copyright, please click the green check. If not, click the red X. I'm going to go ahead and get the results. And it looks like, so far, about 48% have not, and about 27% have integrated um, teaching copyright. I know I didn't do a very uh, thorough job when I was teaching students to use PowerPoint and the copyright issue. But I know better now. And now we're going to do another interactive poll. On the next slide, you're going to be using the text tool. And uh, it, it's best to use the one with the A with the little lines next to it. And we'd like you to click on that tool in just a moment. And then you're going to um, drag out your text box and share ways that you've used PowerPoint as an instructional tool in your classroom. So if everybody could please click on that tool now, and then draw your your box and type ways that you have used PowerPoint as an instructional tool in your classroom. I know it's a little messy, and we'll move the boxes around in just a bit. 
so that we can kind of see these things. I'm seeing review concepts, Jeopardy games, Creative Commons, to embed um, movies, studying, help transfer learning. Library lessons, <coughs> presentations for teachers and professional and staff development, a lot for vocabulary. And clip art for young students, social media concepts. So these are some great ideas and there's so many, so many. We could go on for days and days about the different ways that we can use slideshows and slide shares um, about illustrating concepts and vocabulary and so forth. And this will be saved in our um, presentation. So now I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic back to Lorna. Thank you for your participation. And it's so well, it's so great to have everybody joining us today. And welcome back, Lorna and Peggy. Thanks very much, Kim, for doing such a great job on the poll questions. We've been um, flipping jobs back and forth today. And I, I really understand what a smooth job that Kim does when she introduces introduces the show. And uh, that was a great uh, indication of what our audience is like today with the poll question. So it seems like a lot of people are really familiar with PowerPoint. So I really don't need to get into too much of the newbie question other than I saw a couple comments about Keynote and whether it means the same thing. You know, PowerPoint belongs to the Windows environment with Microsoft or uh, let's just put it Microsoft. But Keynote is included in iWork. And yes, you can convert it to PowerPoint. But whatever we're talking about today applies to Keynote uh, as well. I would like to move on to our special guest today, and that's Alvin Trusty. I had a chance to talk for a few minutes yesterday with Calvin, and I'm so um, impressed, I think with you will be as well, that he started out as a chemist. And so sometimes, how do we do that uh, transfer to um, PowerPoint presentations? But what happened is Alvin uh, began teaching in, uh, in high school and working with uh, people in uh, uh, postgraduate work. He saw a really good um, interest in, in using educational technology, and he very uh, gently slid to that particular uh, expertise area. Uh, currently, he teaches at the University of Findlay in Ohio. And uh, he just finished off his uh, teaching with grad students, working about technology integration. And I know he's anxious to start his summer vacation. So we thank you very much, Alvin, for you know, holding off on that vacation and joining us the, this morning. But could you, Alvin, introduce yourself and um, maybe fill in some of the gaps that I didn't uh, present at the moment? Welcome, Alvin. I was just uh, setting up to, so I could uh, share my uh, presentation with all you guys. Uh, if you could just tell me if you could see that by uh, giving me a little smiley face. All right. Uh, 
I saw some people from Arizona. I went to, I actually went to graduate school in Tucson at the University of Arizona. And uh, that's when I decided I really didn't like chemistry as much as I liked technology. And I uh, decided to go into educational technology because I was working with uh, teachers at the time. And uh, since then, uh, I've just picked up every little bit of technology that I can along the way. And, and, and now it's a full-time job for me at the university. It's, uh, it's nice. Uh, I have a, a presentation for you. A, a lot of this presentation, I think, was embedded in your show notes. So uh, if you watched it, you're going to see a lot of repeats. Uh, you'll see some new things, too. But if most of you are like me, when you see the show notes, you, uh, you think, oh, that looks great, but <laughs> you don't watch the whole thing. Uh, so uh, bear with me if, if you're seeing some repeat. I, I think it's the kind of thing you pick something up the second time around anyways. But I have put together a, a presentation, uh, and I called this one How to Create a Great PowerPoint Without Breaking the Law Take 2.0 because it was a follow-up to a, a presentation I gave a year earlier uh, at the State Technology Conference in Ohio. Ohio has the third largest uh, ed tech conference. Uh, NEC is the largest. FETC in Florida is the second largest. And Ohio is the third largest. We usually have about 8,000 uh, people there. I, I figured out a long time ago it's strictly limited by the number of substitute teachers in Ohio. There are about 8,000 subs. And so we get about that many teachers because it's in uh, February. So uh, they have to have subs so that they can come speak at the conference. So uh, before I start, I, I do have some links uh, for you. Uh, if you could uh, quickly uh, jot down all of the links. Uh, and it amazes me that people uh, do things like I just uh, go through a bunch of uh, links expecting you to write them down. I have uh, tagged all of the links that I'm going to talk about. Uh, in my Delicious account, I tagged them with great PPT. So if you go out to that site, you can, you can grab that. It will be in the show notes. Uh, I was actually at a conference, and someone popped up this little URL and said, OK, here's where I got this device. And I see people writing things down. And I thought, this is just crazy. Uh, so I learned a long time ago to tag everything in Delicious. And a lot of what I'm going to talk about is the result of seeing some really bad presentations. So uh, I'll, I'll stop whenever I get to something and tell you why, why I did this or why I did that. Also, if I do something and you're like, you know, that's not possible with PowerPoint, all of this is PowerPoint. Uh, there's no Photoshop magic or anything. I use the pretty standard tools to do everything. And I'll show you as many of them as I, as I can. Uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, and Facebook. Uh, you can also email me. And if you want to see some of my stuff, just go to Google and type my name followed by PowerPoint. And it will show you uh, a lot of information that I've created. Now I'm going to talk about copyright. And I want to warn you that I'm not a lawyer. I teach educational technology at the University of Finley. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, copyright law. Uh, so that's going to be the without breaking the law part of the talk. Now, before I continue, uh, I, I just went through about uh, 15 slides real quick. Is the quality coming through okay to everyone? Could you see each one of the slides? Did they really choppy? Get a lot of smiley faces. So, okay. Uh, 
when it uh, comes to copyright law, usually you think of this copyright symbol, but let me first explain why it's called copyright because it deals with copying. And when I say copy, I mean taking one thing and turning it into two things. So I could photocopy something or I could right click save a copy. So any of those things are, are copying. And copyright uh, can be found in the United States at copyright.gov. That's where the whole law is explained. There are thousands of pages. Uh, I'm going to touch on some of the highlights. Now, since uh, Lorna's in Canada, I had to look up where you can find Canadian copyright, and here's the URL for that. I added that to my uh, delicious links. Now, before we start, I would like to take a little poll. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some scenarios. And if you think what I'm showing you is legal, I want you to click on the little check that says, yes, that is legal. Or if you don't think it's legal, I want you to check on the little X that says, no, that's illegal. So here are some scenarios that I've come across while teaching. Now let's say I'm a teacher and I have a book that has a very good illustration, but I only have one copy. Is it legal for me to hold that book up in front of my class so that my students can all see a picture where they don't have a copy of the book. So is that legal to hold a book up? So it looks like uh, just about everyone thinks that that is legal. Well, how about this? The people in the back of the room, can I, and oh, I see a comment, is this a USA law? I, I really only know USA law, so I, I will be talking about USA law. And if uh, a lot of this uh, goes to some uh, resolutions in the United Nations about uh, intellectual pro property right laws. So a lot of it carries over, I think. But I'm really, I've only studied US law. All right, the second scenario is students in the back of the room can't see uh, the picture in the book clearly. So I take the book and I drop it onto an Elmo. An Elmo is like a digital camera that projects whatever is under it, like, a, like an overhead projector. Is it legal to digitally project an image onto the screen from uh, something like an Elmo? And uh, a few people don't think that's legal. Most people, it looks like, say, yeah, that's legal. Okay, there are two students that are absent. So I take my book, put it on a scanner, and I make a copy of the page that I showed the class. Is it legal for me to take that scanned page and put it into Blackboard, the, the tool that we use to teach, so that the absent students can see the same thing that we saw in class? So now most people, most people think that is illegal, all right? I'll go over the answers later, all right? <laughs> and this book that I have actually says on it, not for resale, but uh, I've already used that one good picture out of it, so I'm going to sell this book, even though it says not. Is it legal for me to sell a book that says not for resale on it? So 
So most people say that's uh, not legal. All right. Uh, I'm talking in one of my classes about polar bears, so I find this picture on the internet, and it doesn't have a copyright sign on it. Now, I don't mean, you know, like a sign that says copyright. I mean, on this picture, there's nothing that says that this is copyrighted by a person. So is it legal for me just to copy that off the internet and use it in my presentation? I think we have most, probably more no's, but uh, some, that one seems a little more fuzzy. Now, here's one, this is, this is my work. One of my kids needed to learn the Times facts. So I typed meticulously into a word processor all of the math facts for multiplication. And since it took me so much time, I put a little copyright at the bottom. Is it legal for me to copyright a document that I have created? Can I copyright that, that work of mine? A lot of people saying yes on that one. I see some people saying depends, and uh, we'll talk about the depends uh, a little bit later. Uh, finally, uh, I, I'm using the cover of a magazine in a presentation in class. So on, one of, on the slide, I just put, this is copyrighted by Time Magazine. Is, am I covered? Am I, can I use that legally in my presentation as long as I cite who the copyright belongs to? So most people say, yeah, perfectly legal. Okay, last one. A free day, and we want to watch a movie in class. Can I just show a movie in class? Is that legal? Most, <laughs> most people say no. <laughs> yeah, but we do it all the time. It's, it's funny what teachers do. Now, let me talk a little bit about presenting. Uh, so far, I've I've shown you, uh, you know, we've gone through the first uh, 50 slides or so, and I haven't shown you anything that looks like this. This is a typical, I have a question, I want you to see the question, so I type it in, or I, I switch uh, to a more interesting, you know, ocean kind of background, or if I want to, this, this one was my favorite uh, when it came to using templates. But since we're teachers, a lot of us are going to use this template because it's got the crayons on it, so it implies this is something educational. But the truth of the matter is, unless you're selling crayons, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have something on your slide about crayons. Besides, you throw away a huge amount of your screen real estate with items that probably have nothing to do with uh, the content on the screen. So uh, I am not a fan of of themes at all. On top of that, when it comes time to tell you what to do, I don't usually have the, the Illuminate to vote, so I ask people to raise their hands. I have things flying in and uh, all sorts of things. So um, again, I'm not going to have animations just to distract people like that. Uh, we have a couple people with questions. No, I think they're just uh, doing what you said to do. Raise your hand if you oh. think it's legal. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. 
Okay. <laughs> now notice that this question has a bullet point in front of it. And I don't know why. And it's simply because that's the way PowerPoint is. So in addition to the the general tag I have for this presentation, I created another one called get rid of bullet. So if you want to know how to get rid of a bullet in PowerPoint, just go to that tag and there's a document that tells you step by step how to get rid of bullet points on your PowerPoint presentation. Uh, and from now on, I'll just put something at the bottom that says tag, something like get rid of bullet. Because uh, uh, guns don't kill people, right? Bullets kill people. Now, hopefully you can hear that. Uh, it played through my speakers on my computer. And if you listen closely, you only, I think, heard three bullet sounds, even though I had four in there. And that's because sound in PowerPoint is highly unreliable. So I, I don't use a lot of sound in my PowerPoints simply because of that. Uh, another thing in this background always reminds me of this. A background can really kill the concept that you're talking that you want to talk about. For instance, I was in a classroom and I saw a teacher explaining to elementary students the shape of coins. These obviously are circles but these are pictures, and pictures are square. So uh, you say, well, I would never show you know, pictures like that. The problem was the teacher was using this background, so she was explaining these circle pictures, but they were squares because of the background, where if a, back, a background that was white was used, obviously those, uh, once again, are circles. So if you're going to use a picture, don't put it down in the corner away from your content, make it a part of your content. Uh, otherwise, you shouldn't use a picture. And under no circumstances should you ever read your slides word for word from the presentation screen. Your audience will figure out that you're reading the slides. They can read faster than you can talk, and this will create a disconnect between you and your audience. Now, I, I won't say any more about uh, reading your slides. But that is a quote from uh, Guy Kawasaki. And research has shown if you have words, you're better to let the audience read them without you talking because they'll actually remember more that way. So in review, no themes, no bullets, never ever read your slides. And let me talk about uh, visual design for a second. Uh, there's an excellent book by Robin Williams uh, this Robin Williams is a female, it's not the comedian Robin Williams, that uh, goes through uh, four concepts that I find critical in PowerPoint. Uh, and you can remember them if you just remember the acronym. But let me talk a little bit about each one of them. The first one is contrast. I used this picture when I talked about uh, bullets because it had a black background already in white words and a black background, very good contrast. I could have used this picture with more guns, but uh, it lacked the contrast that I needed. So I could have put up a little black stripe across, but then I thought that took away from the picture of the guns. I could have also made the guns wider, but then I didn't think you could see them as well, so I stuck with this picture that I had. Now, there was a problem with this picture, and that's it had a bullet casing flying off, and I, I thought that distracted from what I wanted uh, people to see. So 
uh, I just drew a, a black box over it. You can see my delicious tag is insert rectangle. And without the little white uh, border, you can't tell that I did anything. So I didn't have to use Photoshop or anything. I just drew a box over it. I do this all the time. This is a black box that I wrote on. I have a picture that shows my coffee roasting. Uh, unfortunately, you can see when I took this in my garage, things on the shelf. So I just drew a, a, a rectangle over it. And you can't tell that I did that. So the next thing is repetition. That's when you show someone pictures over and over, like a bullet uh, coming out of a gun. And people remember it, just like you have your students do their uh, math facts over and over and over. Repetition helps. Another thing is alignment. This is where I have multiple slides with pictures that are aligned perfectly from slide to slide. If I had pictures that jumped a little, each time I went to the next slide, that little jump would distract you. So I've aligned them all from slide to slide so it just looks like parts of the, parts of the page uh, just disappear. Uh, if I had uh, done this with uh, my little math facts thing, it would have looked uh, quite a bit different. Proximity is how close things are together. So when I put two pictures close together, you know that I was copying one to the other. You know that those two pictures go together. So those are the four principles uh, that are talked about over and over in uh, Robin Williams' book. Uh, another thing she talks about uh, are fonts. Uh, there are three basic kinds of fonts. Sans serif uh, is, should be the one most commonly used in, in presentations. And decorative fonts should never, ever be used. Actually, they should just never be used, period, especially in PowerPoint. Uh, serif fonts have the little boots on the end of each one of uh, the letters. And they're great for books because the little, the little uh, boots help your eyes track along long lines of text. And like I said, sans serif is the best one for presentations. If you've ever watched one of Steve Jobs' keynotes, uh, he always uses uh, sans serif. It's also great for bulletin boards. You don't need more than two fonts. And uh, here's a, a rule of thumb. Measure how wide your screen is diagonally in inches and then walk that many feet back from your screen and see if you can see the font. So uh, that's right out of uh, uh, Nancy Duarte's book called Slideology. Um, she's famous for having uh, created Al Gore's uh, Inconvenient Truth uh, presentation. So if you want to see an incredible presentation, watch this video. And don't pay so much attention to the message as you do how it's presented. And it's, a, it's an incredible presentation. And the last thing here is uh, just something about Comic Sans. Uh, as teachers, we use things like this crayon t uh, theme. And notice it's Comic Sans. This uh, is a, a decorative font. And you should never, ever use a decorative font period. So you shouldn't use Comic Sans. Check out this website. It's uh, quite comical, uh, talking about trying to ban it from the whole world. Another thing is capitalization. Use proper capitalization because your eye uses the tops of letters so that you can 
uh, read words without seeing the bottoms. Now you looking at this probably very quickly realized that that said United States of America. Take a look at this one. Now you could probably read that, but it probably took longer because your eye uses the top of the letters, which is why you should use proper capitalization. The worst thing you can do is to have capitalization that, uh, that looks like this, which I see students do all the time. And reading this kind of text is much, much slower. Now you have to be kind of careful you don't want anyone, you know, jumping to conclusions because that is not what this says. So yet the top of those letters are very important to the way your brain perceives what's written on the page. Now another thing is color. Take a second and tell me what's wrong with this picture. Well, it's pretty simple. It was so foggy you couldn't see the bridge. So I had to draw the bridge on with, uh, uh, with a paint program. I did it in like uh, 30 seconds. It looks really bad, but I got the color right. And because of that, people don't notice that, uh, that, that there's anything wrong with it. They're looking. The color looks okay. So when you uh, use colors on your slides, uh, there's lots of combinations that work really well. You can take one color and use a monochromatic scheme. You can take colors next to each other and use what's called an analogous uh, theme. Or uh, across the way, you can do complementary colors, uh, like uh, the one you see uh, at Christmas time all the time. Now, for contrast, the best is a combination of black and white, either white letters or black letters. The black background is great, especially if you have a darker room. If you have a, a dark room and you have a white background, you have to be careful because it can really change the amount of light in the whole room. So here's a, an analogous one. You can see I have darker colors, darker uh, shades of the same blue and, and lighter shades. This is an analogous one where I don't have different shades. But if I change those shades, it becomes very readable. Uh, this one is complementary. I have uh, orange and blue. Once again, if I change the values, go with darker and lighter shades, it becomes very, very useful. Now this one, you see this one a lot a uh, certain time of the year. It happens to be the color combination that, that colorblind people can't see. But at Christmas time, we use this one because these are the colors of Christmas. Just be aware, if you're looking at this, it probably looks very fuzzy, and it's because they're uh, complementary colors of the same value. Now my little uh, clip art guy takes me to a new thing, and that is uh, clip art and PowerPoint. Uh, if you have these two little guys in one of your PowerPoint presentations, they should have dialogue, because they add absolutely nothing as far as uh, graphics to your presentation. Now if you want to put pictures into your PowerPoint, it turns out that PowerPoint has tons of actual photographs that are built right into the ClipArt library in PowerPoint. Every one of these uh, pictures uh, showed up when I searched for teacher in PowerPoint using the ClipArt library specified uh, as a, I said I want photographs. Now the drawback is 
I don't know, maybe there are 10 pictures of teachers. So if you go to a conference where people are talking about teachers, you'll see those same pictures over and over. So uh, for that reason, I take a lot of my, uh, a lot of my own pictures uh, whenever I work in PowerPoint. And I never, ever add clip art just for the sake of adding one of these little cheesy clip art things. It just doesn't help your PowerPoint. Now, all of those things I just talked about, color, fonts, uh, just visual literacy in general is a lot of details gone into in this book by uh, Lenel uh, Burmark. Uh, this is a book that I picked up this summer uh, and read on one of my trips. It's an excellent book and it's from an educator's perspective. So uh, all, of the, all of the content has references to uh, research that's been done in, in each one of uh, these areas. Now, I also limit all of my transitions to just one transition. I use the fade smoothly transition. I don't do the roll in, flip in, spin in, all of those things because those only distract from the content, which is something you don't want to do. So this is actually one slide and this is another slide with the uh, fade transition in between of them. You can do some cool things with this. Uh, this is my uh, disappearing act. So what I did, I took a picture of myself and then I got up and took a picture of my empty chair and then between them I used the fade smoothly, tr smoothly transition. Uh, and uh, it, I did the same thing on my little bridge picture. I use this uh, all the time. Also, especially at a conference, don't count on the internet working. Uh, one of my YouTube videos is uh, I can do the Rubik's Cube behind my back. If you go to YouTube and you search for Rubik's Cube behind the back, you'll see this presentation. But uh, if I were to try to do this at a conference and show that little video, it, it might not work because you know, there might be a guy up front who's you know, live streaming and you've got you know, people doing the Twitter. Uh, at the back you've got the live bloggers and then likely everyone in the place is checking email. So when I try to connect to the internet as a presenter, it might not work because of all of this uh, traffic created just by the audience. And with the back channel, especially now at conferences, it's not unusual to have this problem. So I can go out ahead of time and I can do screen captures and effectively show you my video, except I did all of those with screen captures. I use a free program called Burfinview, and it just, I just hit Control-11, I think, on my, on my keyboard, and it takes a picture of whatever's on the screen. And then I can incorporate those into my presentation and not have to leave PowerPoint whenever I'm uh, uh, talking about something that's online. So let me go over some uh, copyright law for you. Uh, this is the, the U.S. copyright. You can find it, all of the detail in Title 17. Um, and here are your, uh, here, here are the things that you control if you own a copyright. You can uh, reproduce something, do derivative works, distribute copies, perform it publicly, display it publicly, and transmit it digitally. So these are your rights if you're the holder of a copyright. So if you've created something, you have the copyright of that, you control all of these things. 
So let me go through them and relate them back to what we've already talked about. So uh, copying is pretty simple. I talked about that early on. That's when I turn one into two. And if I don't make a copy of something, if I hold up a book in front of my class, I'm not making a copy. It, copyright law doesn't even apply. Uh, the same goes with the transmission. Because I'm not making a copy when I use an Elmo, it just projects onto a, a screen, a live image. Again, I'm not making a copy, so this is another one of those things that uh, is perfectly legal. Uh, the next thing is derivative works. Now, a derivative work means if I write a book, I own the rights to any form that may take on, including something like a movie. So if someone wants to make a movie of my book, they have to get permission from me, the copyright holder of the book. So if I take a photo and someone wants to make a poster, that again is a derivative work. The owner of the original photo has the rights to anything that's made from the photo. This particular instance uh, is kind of comical. Uh, the photo was taken by Manny Garcia, and then the poster was created by Shepard Ferry. Now normally when you want to make a poster of somebody's uh, work, you go to the photographer and you ask permission. But uh, Shepard Ferry didn't do it that way. He just uh, went to Google, uh, searched for Obama, found uh, all these images of Obama, and he picked the one he thought looked best, uh, and uh, he turned that into a poster never asking for permission. And clearly he's made a derivative work. So he was lucky because the guy that took the photo, he said, hey, if you send me a signed poster, we'll call it even. Now, since this happened uh, earlier this year, it's taken on a, a whole you know, kind of uh, world of its own. And I think Manny, most recently, first off, the people that hired him said they owned the copyright. And then he said he owned the copyright. And then he said, just in the last month or so that a signed uh, poster wouldn't cut it. He was going to need some money. So I, I think he got greedy. Uh, the next thing is distribution. And this applies to what's called the first sale doctrine. Whoever owns the copyright controls the distribution as far as the first sale. So if I have someone give me a book, once that book is owned by me, that's a single copy of the book, I can do anything with that book that I want. Even if it says not for sale, not for resale, I can sell that book and there's nothing anyone can do about it because the copyright holder controls the first sale. That's how libraries and secondhand bookstores survive. Because once they buy a, a book at the library, they can loan it if they want because they bought it. Uh, the fourth thing here is public performance. That means unless you have a copy that's licensed for public performance, you are not permitted to show it in a public performance. So you couldn't show a movie uh, on a, a free day at school. Now, going back to uh, my picture of my not for resale book, you can never believe So I have a little video, the video there that I captured uh, right off the of television that says the NFL completely owns this and that I'm not allowed to give a description or an account of the game without the NFL's consent. That means on Monday 
morning, I cannot talk about Sunday's game unless I have their consent, which is false, completely false. Just like printing not for resale on a book is completely false. But people believe what they read or they believe what they see on TV, so they typically don't resell a book or they don't make a copy of something on TV because they've said that it's illegal. But it turns out writing it on a television commercial doesn't change the law. So this video you can actually get right off of YouTube. And a professor that teaches copyright copied the commercial and put it on YouTube to have a discussion about fair use with her students because she said, you know, this isn't right. So she put the whole thing out online. They fought her. She won. It's still online. You can find it online. So let me talk a little bit about how you copyright something. If you write down an idea or record it or store it on some kind of media, it's fixed. And fixed means that it's protected by copyright. So this uh, copyright sign actually means very little. This uh, photograph, which uh, I actually took this photograph, is copyrighted without the little copyright sign. And if someone wanted to use that, they would need my written permission to use to use that picture. And this is an example form that someone could use to get written permission. Also, the picture uh, about uh, the, the picture of the magazine with my little uh, attribution to Time Magazine. This is where teachers confuse two different items. What I've given is attribution. I've given a citation so that I'm, show, I'm showing I didn't create that work. That means I can't be held liable for plagiarism. And plagiarism is an academic term, where copyright is a legal term, and violation of copyright can get you thrown in jail. Plagiarism, I might get an F on a paper, or I might fail a class. I might even get kicked out of school, but I won't end up in jail uh, if I plagiarize something. So let's look at the cost of violating. This, uh, this one's actually true. It says a maximum penalty of $250,000 if I uh, violate copyright law. Now, let me show you. I, I, I did this little trick a little bit ago. I took this picture, showed you one little teeny part of it. This is a real simple technique to draw attention to one small part of a busy picture. What I did is I took this picture and I cropped everything except the one part of the picture that I wanted you to see. And I used the crop tool built right in to uh, PowerPoint. And once I was finished, I had my original, I had my cropped version, I went back to my original and I made it darker. Again, this is built into PowerPoint. I right-clicked it, formatted the picture, and turned the brightness down. So I end up with this dark version of the picture. So I have a dark copy. I have my cropped copy. I just moved the uh, dark copy right underneath the light copy to make it look like I have a highlighted part of the picture. So I have my original, and then I have my darker version. It makes you it makes you look at that one part of this busy slide to see what's important that I'm talking about. So I did the same thing uh, with this slide. You've seen me do this over and over. Uh, here's an example of some peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, sharing. If I download a picture, <laughs> if I download anything on the Internet that's uh, copyrighted, I face a fine of up to $150,000 per file. Now, for comparison, if I go to Walmart and I steal a CD, in Ohio, it's a maximum of a $1,000 fine. 
But if I were to download those 10 songs, I face charges uh, up to $1.5 million. That's crazy. Now look at this comparison. This little teeny blip on the left is if I steal it, but if I download it, the, in comparison, if I had something that was 12 inches tall next to the Empire State Building, 12 inches tall is stealing. The Empire State Building is if I download it illegally. And this, uh, this has happened. Uh, this lady, uh, Jamie Thomas, uh, was fined $1.9 million because she shared 24 songs online. Just yesterday, the Tenenbaum case, uh, a guy shared 30 songs, was fined over $600,000. So there have been some cases where these uh, things have hit. Let me talk about fair use because this is really important within the classroom. Uh, fair use is your ability to use something without the written permission of the copyright holder. And you can see one of those things is for teaching. But it's important to understand fair use is not a right, it's a defense. So you can't say to the copyright holder, oh, I I'm using that as a fair use. If someone sues you for using their work, they take you to court and then you plead with the judge, I used it under fair use, and the judge will consider four different factors to determine if your use really was fair. The first one is how transformative was your work? In other words, I show a picture of a butterfly because a butterfly is transformed from a moth. If I photocopy a page, I have not transformed it. I'm, I photocopied a page. But if I take a song and I play it in a class where we're talking about uh, an era of music, or uh, I take a sound bite and I play it so that people can understand the contextual meaning behind a speech given in history, I've transformed it to something different. I'm not just making a copy and giving it to my students. The second factor is exactly what kind of thing am I copying. Here's two examples. Since it's baseball season right now, let's suppose I have every score of every game that's ever been played. These are facts. Facts are not protected by copyright. But if I have a creative work like a story, Casey at the Bat, 100% protected by copyright. So my little uh, uh, chart that shows math facts, those are facts. And I cannot copyright those. But if it's something very creative, a song, a story, a poem, a photograph, then it's completely protected by copyright. The third factor is how much I've copied. And there is no law that says 10 seconds of a one-minute song or anything like that. The general rule is the less you use, the more likely it's covered by fair use. And the last and the most important thing is how does it affect the person that owns the copyright? If I take a textbook and I copy it so that I can use it in my class without buying more textbooks, I'm destroying the ability of the textbook a creator to sell textbooks. So the judge is going to say, you're killing their market, that's not fair use. So those four factors are going to be looked at by the judge. Now there is something called the TEACH Act from 2001 that says if you have a closed system like Blackboard where students are required to log on, you can take something used in the class, make a copy of it, 
and put it into that system, because it's a closed system, it's legal. So you can, and that's one that almost everybody says, oh, no, you can't, you can't do that. Now, let me wrap up a little bit by talking about Creative Commons. Uh, I talk a lot in my classes about how you can get things that have very limited uh, copyright on them. And if you go to their site, you can see they have millions of audio, uh, pictures, video, even text. You can see here's 12 million texts, stories, poems, those sorts of things. Now you can use their search tool. It's called Creative Commons, Some Rights Reserved. And all of the licenses have what's called attribution. I can use it simply by giving the owner of the work credit for creating the work. Now there are some other things, uh, like not for uh, making money. Share alike means if I use their content, I have to make my work Creative Commons licensed. And then there's no derivatives. Like if I write a song, you can't remix my song if it's licensed, no derivatives. You can use it as background in your presentation, you just can't remix it. And then there's all sorts of combinations of these. I use this very last one, which uh, is the non-commercial share alike. If you go to Flickr, and go to the Creative Commons page on Flickr, you can see that there are 11 million, 4 million, 30 million, 13 million, 27 million, 8 million, millions and millions of photos licensed Creative Commons. If I add all of these together, you can see when I did this little screenshot, which was in February, so it's been six months, there are 95 million different photographs that I can use for free without getting written permission of the person that owns them. And to give you an idea, I did the same thing a year earlier and there were only 58 million. So I'm sure at this point there's probably close to 150 million pictures uh, that are in this one resource of Creative Commons. And if you can't find something and you violate uh, copyright law, then you should go right to jail because there's so much out there, including this picture I found on Flickr and Creative Commons. Uh, when I go to look for pictures, I use Comp Fights. It's very handy because I can tell it to only find Creative Commons pictures, and then I can type in something like Classroom, and it will show me a hundred pictures at a time where Flickr will only show me, oh, I don't know, maybe 20. So it's much handier to search through a whole lot of pictures uh, to find what I'm looking for. I typed in classroom and I found all of these different pictures, some of them old, some of them not so old, that dealt with the classroom. And if I wanted to use any one of these pictures in any way, I can go to the site, make a copy of the picture, and you'll see this says some rights reserved, I can't use this commercially. I copy where I got the picture. This is my attribution. Remember, I have to give attribution. And then somewhere in my presentation, I give you a link where I got this particular picture. I've completely fulfilled my obligation to Creative Commons by giving attribution. I can use this picture without any uh, written permission from the copyright holder. Now, if I don't want to put words on the photo, uh, I can put them at the end, like uh, credits at the end of a movie. 
uh, I find that the, it doesn't distract from the content as much if I do it that way. So that's typically what I do. Also, there's a huge store of public domain information. Anything created by the U.S. government is automatically from the time of creation in the public domain. So I can use that also. Anything before 1923 is also in the public domain. So I can find old pictures and I can use those without cop uh, contacting the owner of the copyright. So when I start to use my pictures, it's important to understand what's called the rule of thirds. That is, if I take uh, the picture divided into three columns and three rows, a person's eye is drawn to the intersections of those lines. So if I have a picture, people are going to probably notice what intersects at those lines. Keep that in mind when you're taking a picture as well. Some of the most famous pictures uh, ever made have very interesting things right at those intersections. If you watch television, you'll notice that the people in the picture aren't in the center. They're at one of those intersections. So it's a good idea whenever you're you know, putting a picture on there that you keep this in mind. Uh, last thing, uh, I, one of the books that I read is uh, Why Most PowerPoint Presentations Suck by Rick Altman. Uh, and he has a quote uh, right in the, I think, the first few uh, pages of the book that is, what he's heard so many people say about PowerPoint, that is, it's so easy that I learned it in 15 minutes. And the problem is, if you, if you go with the 15 minutes, your PowerPoint is going to look bad. So my challenge to you is to take a little more than 15 minutes to, to learn how to do PowerPoint. Uh, if you need a picture of a clock that has 15 minutes on it, take a picture. This is a picture of my clock uh, sitting in my office on the corner of uh, my desk. Uh, I set the books down that I talked about, and I took a picture of those. So you can take pictures of a lot of things. I recommend that you put down a piece of white paper and sit your object on there and put your camera on uh, a tripod whenever you take a picture. Now, this is a studio picture. Uh, I, I did this, uh, I know because I took this picture. Notice though, I moved the object way off to the left so that I have a lot of room to write my text on there. And I also have a lot of contrast. So this is another picture I took in my studio of words on that black screen of my computer. Now, this studio isn't very complicated. I went to uh, Staples and I bought a $5 roll of white paper. And uh, I just stretched it out on the floor and uh, took pictures. So I have what looks like an infinite white background. Very simple technique. Cost me all of $5. And I had to lay it down on the floor to take uh, a picture. So I end up taking a lot of pictures that I use on my own presentations. But the ones that I use uh, that are Creative Commons, uh, I have to give attribution for those. Now, to show you how powerful pictures can be, I'm going to do the little attribution thing here. And as you see these pictures, see if you can recall what I talked about when I showed you each one of these pictures.
So that's uh, everything in my presentation. Once again, if you want to uh, look at some of my resources, uh, they're listed here. And uh, I had told uh, Lorna that I'd stick around afterwards, and if anybody had any questions or anything, Alvin, I'd be happy to, to go over them. Alvin, that was a phenomenal presentation. I know people have had millions of questions going on in the chat room. Some have been answered, and some have not. And uh, the resources you've given everybody should help some of those questions. Uh, um, people need to do some homework after this presentation, so there's a lot to absorb today. I really want to thank you uh, for your presentation, and I need to uh, let uh, Kim take over the microphone for a minute and. Uh, Finish up with the review, if you could, uh, Kim. And I know we have a poll question about what our site's going on with. But um, as Alvin has said, he's going to hang around for a few minutes. So if you want to uh, be patient, so we'll let him uh, answer some of your questions. Thank you, Alvin. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Alvin. That was fantastic. Um, we're going to go ahead and close up the show. And if you want to stick around and ask a few questions, you're welcome to do so. If you need to leave, we understand that, and we thank you for coming today. Next week on August the 8th, we're going to have uh, the founders of the Exploring um, All About Explorers website, and we're going to be talking about how you can use that website in your classroom. And if you haven't explored that website, allaboutexplorers.com is the website. I encourage you to do so before next week. You'll find some very interesting things, and I'll just leave that little teaser for you. Um, to check it out and see. And also next Wednesday, August 7th, our beginner series, it should be the 5th, I think. I put the wrong date. Um, the 5th, next Wednesday, we're going to be uh, starting the beginner center series back up with Sue Waters on RSS feeds and starting that with what it is, how you use RSS feeds, and all kinds of information that's going to be really helpful and interesting. So be sure that you uh, join us on Wednesday, August the 5th. And Steve Hargadon has started a number of communities and networks and sites, and among them Classroom 2.0. And Tuesday, August 4th, he will be having an interview session at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on social networking and education with Dave Tosh from ELG. Um, Elg is a similar kind of uh, a mean community, and that will be great. Another great interview session um, with a kind of different perspective on creating a community site. And be sure to join our Classroom 2.0 Live Digo group in the Digo bookmarking site. And if you haven't joined that site already, I encourage you to do so. You can. Um, Bookmark to Digo, and that also feeds into delicious bookmarks. So, if you haven't done that, please do so, so that you can communicate and bookmark resources with us, as well as receive the share tabs and the uh, resources with us. We were using the GLAM resource uh, for the list of links, but um, something has happened with the GLAM website. Even though you still have the Glamers Classroom 2.0 Live. Show hosts, uh, we're back to the share tab. So we're going to stick with that, I think, for the time being and try and convert those over because something has happened to the GLAM website. So I posted the share tabs uh, link in here in the chat. We're going to also post it on the slides in just a bit. So I'm going to post, uh, pass over 
the mic to Peggy for a bit to talk about a poll question for just a second, and then we're going to pass it back to Alvin. Hi, I'm going to make this real quick, but we would love to have some input from all of you about our website. We've been posting our archives and our follow-up resources in two separate blogs. And you can see those pages on the screen. The left is the archives, and the right is a list of all of the links that you can check out after the show. Our question that we'd like you to vote on is whether you would like those combined into one link with an RSS feed so you can access them all in one click, or whether you would like us to keep them in two separate blog posts, archives in one, and the resources in another. So if, we, if you could just take a minute and click on A if you would like them to remain as they are in two separate blog posts, a B if you would like us to combine them into a single blog post, which is a little bit long but contains all of the information about one show, or a C if you really don't care and don't have a preference. And I see the votes are coming in, and Kim will post the results as soon as we finish posting. There are definitely pros and cons to each of those approaches, and we would love to know what you think. And Peggy, it looks like so far uh, about 13% have said that they'd like to keep it in two separate posts. 38% has said a single post, and C, 12% don't have a preference. Thank you, everyone, for your feedback. That is very helpful. And uh, we'll be talking this over, but it looks like the majority prefer to uh, have it in a single blog post. So you may see some changes coming. Thanks, everyone. Great. Thank you for voting and taking time. We appreciate the feedback. And we'll try to make that short and simple. And I'm going to go ahead and post our survey link. And we hope that you will take it a few minutes to um, answer the survey. It gives illuminate some information, but more importantly, it gives us information and feedback about the show and lets us know what is important to you and the information that you would like, as well as information about our website that is helpful to you in the future. So if you could please um, fill out the survey, click on the link now. Um, We'll also try and post it with the resources so that you can fill it out later. We really appreciate the feedback that you give us through the surveys. Uh, we look at those and we take that into account, just like the poll and combining the blog post. We want to make it useful for you so that you're, you have the information um, and that you have access to it that's quick and easy, um, not something that's going to be tedious or time consuming to follow through with. So if you could fill that out, that would be great. And I have the share tabs link, and that's also um, posted in the chat. And we want to give a special thanks to Alvin today for joining us. 
and Steve Hargadon, who is our founder of Classroom 2.0 and Futures Education, as well as the Conversations.net, the new name conversation site that Steve started. And everybody, thank you so much for participating in the show today and joining us. And we appreciate, we're sorry that we ran over a little bit longer, but we thank you for joining and staying uh, with us today. So now I'm going to pass the mic back to uh, Alvin. And if you have questions that you'd like to uh, ask Alvin, you can type your questions into the chat, or you can raise your hand and we'll give you the mic. And Herb, you have the mic and you can go ahead and ask your question or share a comment to Alvin, with Alvin. Perfect. Can you hear me? Yes, we sure can. Okay, great. Um, on the textbook and the NFL example, um, I think in both cases, licensure can trump copyright. For instance, the textbook, uh, the textbook publisher, if they gave you a copy with the stipulation that you not resell it, then reselling it would violate that license, and, although it wouldn't violate copyright, but it would violate that license. And with the NFL broadcast, they have a license with the, broad, with the cable provider that frequently, that's why they got into the whole issue with the whole NFL and cable um, channels. Uh, I, I know here in Texas, uh, several Dallas Cowboys games weren't shown because they were on the NFL network and not on the, the public network, and that created a, a, huge, a huge issue. But licensure, people need to be careful about licensure versus copyright because licensure can also get you in the court as well if you violate a license agreement that you have with someone. I, those are both correct. Uh, the thing is, I've never been given a textbook by a textbook manufacturer where I had to sign a license agreement. Uh, they just stamp on there, not for resale, hoping you won't resell it. Uh, so as far as the textbooks, but if you do sign a licensure agreement, uh, you're correct about, about that. Uh, the whole deal on the thing on TV, though, uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you look at the first version of my presentation, I went into the whole story with the professor who actually copied that and put it onto YouTube. And uh, that also was not a licensure case. It was a copyright. It was a fair use. Uh, case. It was never taken to court because the NFL knew they couldn't win because she was talking about uh, fair use principles in a classroom and she posted uh, a video online. It's, it's still on YouTube. If you go to uh, YouTube and search for uh, NFL uh, copyright, uh, actually I have the link in my delicious links. Uh, you can watch the whole thing. It's, on, it's online. In fact, it was the Super Bowl that uh, the Indianapolis Colts won. So it's really old. It's been on there for three or four years. Uh, but you're right about the license. They're, they're separate issues, just like trademark issues and patent issues are separate items too. Uh, so copyright deals with just creative works being copied, which I tried to point out right at the beginning. I, I saw someone post a question, what kind of camera do I use? Uh, I have a whole slew of cameras. Uh, I have a camera I carry in my pocket all the time. It's just a, uh, a Canon point-and-shoot. Uh, it's an SD1100. Uh, my kids have SD1000s. Uh, four or five years ago, I bought an SLR. I bought a Canon XT. Uh, and then after I, got, after I was comfortable with it, I upgraded to I have a, a 40D now. So if I'm doing serious photography, uh, I use the, an SLR. Otherwise, most of my pictures I'm finding that I take with a point and shoot because I have it in my pocket literally all the time. 
Great, thank you, Her. I appreciate that. Does anybody else have a question that they would like to ask? Um, you can type it in the chat, or we can give you the mic and you can ask Alvin your question about copyright or the presentation. Uh, something that I, that I don't mention uh, in the presentation, I didn't mention it in this presentation, uh, is I, I talk to the most prominent law firm in Ohio representing schools to find out if a teacher has ever been prosecuted in Ohio for using copyrighted materials in a presentation in a classroom. So not putting it online, not giving copies to students, just standing up in front of the class and presenting. And there has never been a case uh, where a teacher has even been given a warning uh, that they are violating copyright law uh, ever in Ohio. And the law firm said it will never happen because uh, first off, the owner of the material doesn't want to look bad in the public in the public eye as not uh, not uh, uh, going along with educational practices, uh, and the and the public doesn't understand fair use very well. So he said there will probably never be a law case, a law case because uh, schools just don't have the money to pursue it either. Definitely. Definitely. The attorney fees are a big issue and the, the public image with the money being cut already are another concern. Carmen, do you have a question that you'd like to ask Alvin or make a comment? Yes, thank you very much. Can you hear me okay? We sure can. Okay. Um, if there is a textbook that um, I have that is no longer in print, and I want to use it with students in an online classroom, what might I be able to do with regard to allowing the students access to that book? Well, if, you, if the book uh, is older than uh, 1923, you can do whatever you want because it's in the public domain. You could photocopy it. You could, you could do it anything you want. But if it's printed or if it's copyrighted after 1923, the same law applies. Uh, if, you, uh, if you read the story behind Creative Commons, it's this problem uh, that was the basis for Lawrence Lessig to start Creative Commons. Because most books go out of copy within 10 or 15 years. So you can't get copies of these older books. So imagine a book that's 50 years old, still fully protected by copyright, but you can't buy a copy of it anywhere. Uh, so Creative Commons was created to give people an avenue to put things out there so that people could make copies without the fear of, of being sued uh, in copyright course. Now the thing is, if it's out of print, you could see if you could find the owner of the copyright and get permission. But on the flip side, if you were to copy that book, the owner of the copyright would have to be the person to find you and, and prosecute you. So as a, usually in the classroom, it swings towards the educator if the educator's done everything possible that can be done. So if you try to contact uh, the person that owns the copyright and you can't find and, and you don't hear from you write them a letter and you don't hear from them if it's something that's out of print and maybe the author has been dead for a number of years 
uh, unfortunately, copyright law says that uh, it's in copyright for 70 years after the author's uh, death. So uh, it's going to be a long time before it's in the public domain. Uh, but you, it's really fully protected by copyright law. And you know you can thank people like uh, Sonny Bono for that. Uh, extending, and we're in the middle of a 20-year span where nothing will go into the public domain. In 1998, the Sonny Bono copyright extension law added 20 years to everything. So in the last 10 years, we have had not one single document that was copyrighted expire uh, into the public domain. Um, somebody asked if it's 1923 or 1929 now. It's, it's 1920, did I say 1929? I'm sorry. It's 1923. Uh, it's the Sonny Bono Copyright Extension Law is co commonly called the Mickey Mouse Copyright Extension Act because 1923 was when Mickey Mouse was created. So he was getting oh. ready to go into the public domain and magically copyright was extended for 20 years. Uh, to prevent Mickey Mouse from going into the public domain. Or otherwise, anybody could sell anything that had Mickey Mouse on him because his copyright would have expired. Oh, uh, my goodness. So, somebody <laughs> asked fit. about getting paid uh, mm -hmm. to be a presenter. If you can use materials, uh, you have permission. Uh, if you're giving a single presentation, there's a, and, and that presentation is not recorded. The, you have a lot more latitude than if you record the presentation because recording is making a copy. So you could go, even if you were, say a school paid you to come and talk about a topic and you use pictures that were copyrighted, as long as no one photographs it or records it in any way, uh, fair use will be much more likely to protect you because you aren't damaging someone's ability to sell something uh, if you just show it one time. Uh, in, in fact, there's a, the, the whole copyright of that Obama photograph, the artist countersued the photographer and said, hey, my artwork made your picture famous. Without my artwork, your picture is nothing. So. Uh, you know, it's completely up to the copyright holder on, on who gets to use it for what. But if you use it one time in an environment not copied in any way, you're pretty safe. Now, you're not completely safe. You're pretty safe. I know. This still gets to, there's no definitive black, white, straight answer. No, there isn't. Uh, someone asked if it violates copyright if a teacher shows a movie. Uh, it has to be either a movie approved for public display, and you can you can get movies that have a special license so that they can be shown to a public audience. Uh, but if it doesn't, you're actually violating copyright if you're showing a class one of those movies that's intended for the private viewing in your home. It's not a public display version. The, but it goes back to what I said. Uh, the copyright owners don't typically come after schools that are showing a movie the last day before Christmas vacation because you know, what would be the point? I think Disney has two some schools in Texas. They, they have? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they didn't make copies. They just showed the movies. Right. 
they or the studio's content or something. I'm not I'm, I'm not for certain, but I do believe that um, Disney has contacted the studios, or I'm sorry, the studios or Disney contacted the uh, the district or the schools. The the only time I have seen something happen like that is when, uh, say, a student makes something and it ends up on the school website, and then it's found out that the background music of a student video, let's say, the background music is a copyrighted piece of music. They just you know picked the top 40 songs right. they like. Right. And I, a lot of schools I have seen, they have been given takedown notices. And all you have to do is right. just take it offline. Right. Uh, right. But, but I've never heard of anything happening for if something just happens in the class. First off, how how does Disney know that a teacher showed a movie in class? And he does. It's almost impossible unless some kid goes home and says, "Dad, uh, we watched uh, Little Mermaid in class," and the dad works for Disney. There's just there's almost no way to even know that. I don't know that it was a class or if it was like a, a school event, like a whole campus, and maybe they were selling tickets like a PTA thing or something. It wasn't just an isolated little one class teacher. But still, um, yeah, the I, big thing. The big thing is, uh, Peggy posted, you can't show them for entertainment. Exactly. Uh, it has right. to be connected to your content. Yeah. Yeah, and I also saw somebody say, "There go my uh, comparing visual text." You know, if you're, it goes back to transforming. If you're using photos that. Uh, are used to teach a lesson of some sort, you're much more likely to be covered in fair use. You're not copying them for the sake of copying them. You're changing the context of the, the photo to talk about uh, art or, or, or something else. I know I've been guilty of using like almost an entire song and a video of at the end of the year with students. Thanks, Carmen, for your question. Does anybody else have a question that they would like to ask? If so, you can post your question in the chat, or we can give you the mic and you can ask Alvin your question. Uh, if you add my delicious links, uh, just search through those for uh, Disney. And someone put together a Disney fair use, and they took one second snippets of all these uh, Disney movies that you have seen. They're all cartoons, and together they uh, give the message of fair use. Uh, and so one character, you know, the Little Mermaid says one thing, and then uh, one of the other characters says another, and they go through the whole from all different movies, Snow White and. Uh, you name it, it's probably in there. It's quite entertaining, and it's been online for years, and there's nothing Disney can do about it. So someone has a question about taking taking a screenshot. You know, that's a good question. Uh, again, it really depends. Technically, when you do a screenshot, you're creating a new work. Uh, you're going to a page, or you know, framing it. Uh, and so you're, you are transforming it, but 
I have heard of cases where people have uh, captured a screen that has a picture. Uh, usually it's a trademark thing. They have uh, like a logo or something and the company says, hey, you have a presentation that's online. Again, you really only run into problems if you put it out there publicly available. And uh, you know, Microsoft comes along and they see you have the Microsoft logo or Apple says you have the Apple logo and they say take that out. Uh, if you if you watch my video, uh, the 2.0 version or the, the 1.0 version is on TeacherTube. I have a whole Seinfeld clip in my video because I transformed it. I took the, a clip where they're videotaping in a movie and I used that to talk about piracy. So I only showed, uh, you know, 15, 20 seconds of it, but it's clearly a Seinfeld and I have never ever been given a takedown notice for that and neither has a teacher tube. And it's been watched uh, 40,000 times or something. Which, you know, it's not a million like the JK wedding dance, but still <laughs> for an hour long presentation it's, you know, it's been watched quite a few times. The JK wedding dance is funny though. <laughs> Are there any other questions uh, before we let Alvin go about uh, copyright, presenting, the screen test tutorials on uh, using different software programs? Is that what you mean, media flow? Okay. Yes. Uh, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you uh, at the university, we subscribe. To, um, oh, what's the oh, atomic, atomic learning. learning? Yeah, and all of those are screencasts. Now, there's a very interesting case. I don't know if anyone uh, has heard of Wolfram Alpha, but it's a mm -hmm. new. Uh, it's not really a search engine. It's a data engine that puts together pieces of information based on how you've searched. Well. It was pointed out right away that Wolfram Alpha has a copyright clause that says if you have if you anything that shows data from them, in other words, any search you do, it's copyrighted by them. So this is like saying if you yeah. use PowerPoint to make a presentation, it's copyrighted by Microsoft. Or if you use Word to do a presentation or to create a document, it's because you've used Word to create it. So uh, Wolfram Alpha never imagined how people would use this tool to create content, but they're saying that they own all the content that is created. It hasn't been challenged in court. And if they were to win, if Wolfram Alpha was to win this, I think it would change a lot of things. Uh, because you wouldn't be able to use anything to create content without the, the owner of the tool having some say so in who, what happens to the copyright. Well, I'm guilty of not really reading the um, terms of service that well. And I know there was a big issue on Facebook a while back and people were really upset that the things that they posted on Facebook were becoming the property rights per se of Facebook and then they change their terms of service. Yeah, the, nowadays there are so many people that understand copyright enough that they're watching all of these terms of service. 
You know, Google's been caught on this several times. You know, Facebook, like you just said, and so far everybody's gone back to their old terms of service as far as copyrights concerns. Yeah, definitely people are paying closer attention instead of just clicking I accept blindly. Reading that, that fine print as Peggy mentioned and really reading those licensing agreements and seeing what you're agreeing to and what you're giving up is really crucial nowadays. And copyright is just so complicated sometimes. Are there any other questions? Um, looks like we've kind of wound down with our uh, questions of Alvin. I'm sure if you have um, other questions that come up, you can email Alvin um, or check out those YouTube videos that he's mentioned. And we've had past shows on Creative Commons. And even though I've done some research on it, it still gets confusing in the gray area and the fair use and depending upon how you're using these resources. So it's so great, Alvin, to have you come on and help clarify some of these concerns and issues so that we definitely do not break the law, at least not knowingly. So thank you so much, Alvin, for joining us today. And join us next week, everybody, at the same time on August the 8th for um, exploring the allaboutexplorers.com website. It's going to be a gr another great session. Um, I think you'll find, once you check out that website, some very interesting things. Some interesting uh, things that Christopher Columbus has done when he landed on America. So I'll just leave you with that teaser. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Have a great afternoon, a great evening, or a great night, depending upon where you are in the world. And thanks again, Alvin and Lorna and Peggy. Welcome back. Take care, Thank everybody. Thank you guys for having me. I, I enjoyed it. I hope you uh, did uh, pick up some, especially some presentation tips. Uh, so go out there and make great presentations. That's all I ask. Definitely, definitely. And we'll get rid of our bullets on our slides. <laughs> so have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much. See you next week. Thanks, Kim. Do I need to be the last one to let everybody out before I can stop the recording? Or can you stop the recording? I don't know this part. When everybody needs the recording, we'll stop stuff. Okay, so I don't have to worry about that part. Correct. Just No, it's the same thing as last week. You just right-click if they haven't left. I see a few people did the away. Correct. Correct. Uh, Tharna, thanks again for having me on. Uh, and if you ever want to talk about uh, presenting or or copyright in the future, just let me know. Thanks, Alvin. It was a, it was a pleasure to hear you. And uh, you know, I watched the presentation, but you know that dynamic, you see, ear to ear, can be face to face. It really you know helps clarify things that you're asking when you're watching it. I'm still looking for you to give us that dimension to capturing the image. So I, I guess some of that that come from the books that you were uh, mentioning to us? It was just innate. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I should have said this uh, before, but one thing I, I do, just because for the last few years I've focused so much on presenting, is I 
I just watch all the time for something that might help in any presentation. And whenever I literally carry a camera with me all the time, a little point and shoot that fits in my pocket, and whenever I see something that I think I can use in a presentation, I just take a picture of it. So most days I take, you know, 20 or 30 pictures. It doesn't sound like a lot, but when you do that every day, and then you have days where you take 100, uh, and I just keep them sorted. I tag all of them so I can find them later. And whenever I run across an instance where I think, gosh, I need a picture of a fire truck, or I need a picture of, uh, you know, a little kid sitting in the grass, uh, I just have tons of pictures like that. Great idea. Yeah, thank you very much. Enjoy your You're vacation. <laughs> Thanks. I think I'm going to head out now. Thanks.